over the, the coming weeks, as we did last summer, we're going to be spending time in the book of Psalms, what is known as the, the prayer book or the hymn book of God's people. And it's a collection of 150 poems and hymns written by a variety of writers, writers in a variety of circumstances over a period of about 600 years, between about 1,000 and 400 BC. And so it was originally used by the people of, of Israel hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And the context in which the Psalms were first used by a, was, was by a people often expressed with music and song as the people gathered together. That's how it worked. And they were a people who were seeking to live through the realities of life while at the same time seeking to be faithful to God's word. And at the same time, they were also waiting for the coming of the Messiah, the one who would rescue them, the anointed one, their saviour. And now throughout church history, the Psalms have remained at the core of our expression of devotion to God and um, worship together. And the beauty of the Psalms is that they give language for life's different moments and challenges. And they speak into each and every circumstance. They serve as what was just referred to in the, in the time of prophecy at the end of worship, as a lamp to our feet as we navigate the terrain of life. Often giving words to situations where words are hard to come by. And Christians throughout the centuries have turned to the Psalms for help and guidance. And so the series that we're going to be doing over these next few weeks is called A Lamp to My Feet. And over the coming weeks, we want to explore a few of these Psalms that speak into these different circumstances and emotions of life. We're going to explore words for the worried, words for the rejoicing, words for the hopeless, words for the weary. But today we're going to start with words for the grateful. And each week we'll place ourselves in and explore together a particular psalm. And the way we'll do that is that towards the beginning of the talk, someone will come and read for us, accompanied by someone playing, playing music for us, reflecting the way that this would have happened in some small way, reflecting what would have happened in ancient Israel as they experienced the Psalms. And so Caroline's now going to come, and, uh, and Matt, Caroline's going to read, Matt is going to play for us. And we're going to be listening to Psalm 92. And um, as Caroline reads, I want to invite you to listen in whatever way works best for you. It may be help closing your eyes, maybe helpful, maybe holding out your hands, however that works best for you. But I want you to I invite you to listen in a, in a posture of receiving from God. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. 
For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Matt. Words for the grateful, a psalm of thanksgiving. As I've been thinking about this talk this week, different phrases have come to mind around this theme of thankfulness, of thanksgiving. One that, is, that you may have heard in, in the past is a, a wise piece of advice or wisdom that is good for us to operate with an attitude of gratitude or the call in the Bible for us to count our blessings as, as, and see life as a gift from God. I've been reminded of a, of a great talk that we heard recently from Sam Malins, who's a member of our church and also a clinical psychologist, where he was talking on the subject of happiness. And in that, one of the things he talked about was gratitude. And he gave us a number of insights and practical advice around the practice of gratitude. And if you haven't heard that talk, I recommend you watch it on our website. And so today, in reflecting on Psalm 92, I want to explore a bit about the context in which God calls us to live a life that is rooted in gratitude and thanksgiving. But as I've prepared this week, I've done so with a significant degree of discomfort because I'm painfully aware of the real pain and suffering that's being experienced right now by some people within our own community within our community and beyond. And this pain and suffering is not theoretical. In the last month, we've had, as, as a church, we've had two, two funerals for church members who have lost loved ones in tragic circumstances. There are others who in recent months have also lost loved ones. I'm aware of people who just in the last few weeks have had significant diagnoses, whether life-changing or terminal. There are many in our church family who have come to, come to this country and come to our church family in recent years as asylum seekers. And they live every day with the uncertainty and the pain of separation of loved ones. There are people in our church family facing marital and family worries right now. In the last year, the number of people seeking assistance through step forward money advice has increased significantly. And I'm aware of many in our church family who are dealing with issues of mental health or long-term um, chronic health needs, whether their own or those of a loved one. And these are real circumstances, not just a list of potential circumstances. These are real circumstances being faced by real people in this church community right now. And you may add your own situation to that list. 
And then we add to those circ- these circumstances the tragedies that are going on around our world. And it's in this context that I'm attempting to speak essentially on the call to gratitude and thanksgiving. And it's led me to a question this week as I've reflected on Psalm 92, the call to thanksgiving. Will that which we express as biblical truth bear the weight of the realities of life? And while in faith, my answer to that question is yes, it is a yes but. But only if the foundations of our faith are dug deep enough to bear that weight. Where our perspective and our understanding of God goes beyond the the parameters of the circumstances of our lives. To see and understand the presence of God in the midst of our circumstances and having a truly eternal perspective. And my hope is that in exploring Psalm 92 for a few minutes today, it will help each of us in some small way. I'm not sure if you noticed that the the first words that Caroline read out when she read were these. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. In other words, Psalm 92, the only psalm headed in this way, was a psalm that was specifically used by the people of Israel as they gathered together on the day of rest. As they stepped out of the rough and tumble of weekly life to give their undivided attention and worship to God. As they brought before God the real struggles and pains that they were going through of daily life. But in doing so at the same time, expressing thanksgiving to God in such a way that they were helped to truly bear the weight of the realities of life. And so today, as we gather together on this Sabbath day and reflect on Psalm 92, over the next few minutes, I want to briefly reflect on what Psalm 92 shows us about these deep found, the deep foundation on which our thanksgiving is built. Three truths of why Our thanksgiving is not just a psychological or a well-being exercise, but is built on the truth of God in our lives. And these are the three truths. Firstly, he is here and he is involved. Secondly, he will put all things right. And third, we flourish when we are planted in the house of the Lord. So first, he is here and involved. So verses 1 to 5. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. As the people of Israel came together, they had a profound belief in and reminded themselves of the closeness of God to every situation as they bookended their days by reminding themselves of God's love in the morning and his faithfulness at night. That God was walking with them through the trials of of life. If you remember, their context was that over generations they were living in expectation. Expectation of redemption and salvation and their rescue. 
that would come from the coming Messiah, but still with a sense that God was with them in the midst. But we are a people with the benefit of knowing that this messianic hope that the people of Israel were hoping for has been fulfilled. The truth that through the coming of Jesus as a baby, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus came, he lived his life without sin on this earth, he went to the cross, he bore our sin when he died on the cross, and on the third day he rose again. Jesus defeated death, he defeated sin, and one day he will come again. And that is our hope. And so this morning, as you reflect on the events of your own life, the circumstances of loved ones, the events that are unfolding around our world, is your sense that God is intimately involved and close. You know, we regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper here as a reminder of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We deliberately remember because we so easily forget And for this same reason, we remind ourselves that God is with us in the midst of all circumstances. With that beautiful image in Psalm 92 of a a day being bookended by God's love and his faithfulness. How often do many of us wake in the morning aware or reminded of the situations that we're facing or the grief that we're carrying? And in that moment, there's an invitation from God, remembering to proclaim his love in all circumstances. In other translations, that word love is, is translated as loving kindness or loyal love or steadfast love. In other words, a sense of love that endures with us, that remains with us, with you and with me in the midst of all our circumstances. And then, at the end of the day, as we look back through the day, in whatever place we find ourselves, as our head rests on the pillow, we remind ourselves of and proclaim his faithfulness. That God does not just have compassion for us, but he is faithful to us. In other words, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. He's here now in the midst of whatever circumstance you're going through. So we remind ourselves in the morning of his love and the evening of his faithfulness because we so easily forget that he is love, that he is faithful. I'm reminded of the the intimate words that Jesus spoke to his disciples soon before his arrest, trial and crucifixion recorded in John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. It's then summed up at verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. We will make our home with them. 
So we give thanks because God is here and he is involved. He is present in the intimate details of our lives. But we also give thanks because he will put all things right. Verses 6 to 11, just to remind us. Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. See, our hope isn't just that we have a God who's present and in our circumstance, who loves us and who is faithful to us. We have a God who will put all things right. The people of Israel were looking to a time of the coming Messiah. They believed in a God who would set things right. And we have been restored by the coming of that Messiah. But we also live in hope. Hope of a future. Hope when Jesus will return. The hope that all wrongs will be righted. That remains with us. Because we live in a space of what is called the already and the not yet. The now and the not yet. Where God's kingdom has come, it's been established, but it has not fully come through Jesus. But we need to understand that it won't be fulfilled fully until he returns. And that's a theological truth, but it is also a lived truth for each and every one of us, where we experience on the one hand joys and victories in life and on the other pain and defeat. And so we don't just look to the comfort of God's present love and faithfulness, but we also look to this future hope when all things will be put right, whatever our circumstance now, it will be put right. And this hope, this eternal hope, is reflected in the last book of the Bible, called the book of Revelation, which was written specifically as an encouragement to the church at the time, which was being persecuted. And and it was written in order to encourage the church to stand firm, to not compromise, John in there shares a vision of an, he had of an angel. And the culmination of the vision begins at chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be, be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no long, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. Jesus is going to make all things new. 
every injustice will be put right. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. And as the angel said to John at verse 5, these words are trustworthy and they are true. The time is coming when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. On my um, phone case, I have some of the slightly less well-known words of Martin Luther King printed. We must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. Those words are words that Dr. King is recording as having spoken in February 1968, just a couple of months before he was assassinated. And they come from a a sermon that he preached over a number of years called Shattered Dreams. He first preached it a number of years before when the civil rights movement were going through their most challenging times, where those seeking equal rights were facing daily threats and violence and disappointment, and ultimately Martin Luther King would pay with his own life. And in uttering those words, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope Martin Luther King wasn't in any way seeking to minimise or trivialise the reality of the challenges, sometimes extreme challenges and disappointments of life. What he was doing was setting them in the context of the enormity of what was to come, the enormity of the future and the hope that we have in Christ, one that we cannot fully comprehend, but one which we are invited to embrace, where we trust the God who is present in our struggles, in in his love and in his faithfulness. And it's that God who declares to us that he will make all things new, that every injustice will be put right, that there will be no more sickness or pain or death or mourning. So our thanksgiving is built on the truth that he is here and involved with his love and faithfulness. He will put all things right. And thirdly, the context in which we live out those truths is that we flourish when we are planted in the house of the Lord. Verses 12 to 15. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will, st- they still, they will still bear fruit in old age, They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. The third part of the psalm is the context in which we live out the life of thanksgiving. In some ways, the first two sections could be seen as dependent on us, where we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness and love, where we remind ourselves of the future where all things will be put right. But the place where we live that out, is in the house of the Lord. It's in the courts of the Lord. You know, in all circumstances of life, God invites us to rest in his presence, to allow him to show himself to us, to allow him to reveal to us things as they really truly are, to allow him to be our rock. It's summed up beautifully in Psalm 27. One thing I ask from the Lord, 
This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of God and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. In Old Testament times, the people longed to be in the place of God's dwelling, but it was a physical place. He dwelt in the space of the tabernacle or in the, later in the temple. It was a physical space. But the incredible truth is for us that the place of God's dwelling now is in us. We are the place of God's dwelling. We are his temple. And so as we live through all the circumstances of life, as we seek to live in the way that he calls us to live, we do so with his presence in us. So in the midst of all circumstances, we can know and experience the love and the faithfulness that we declare to be true. Paul summed it up like this in Ephesians 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that of his glorious, out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's, all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Our call to thanksgiving is built on these truths, that he is here and involved, that he will put all things right, and that we flourish when we are planted in the house of the Lord. I just want to invite you to stand if you're, you're able. Caroline and Matt are going to come up again. And Caroline is going to read for us again Psalm 92. And as she does so, I invite you to welcome God's presence here. God, God who is here. His Holy Spirit is among us. And as we listen, as we listen, as we listen at home, I just invite you to receive what it is that God would have for you. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass, all evildoers flourish. They will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. 
all evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him.